0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. We're in Daniel chapter 7, and we've been in this series called Daniel Putting God First. And if you've been coming every week, you have a little study guide like this uh, that has all the chapters and all the take-home points and everything in it. But Daniel 7 is very different. And the rest of the book, Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, very different than the first six chapters. In the first six chapters of Daniel, we meet these four young men from Israel, from Judah, from Jerusalem, actually, and uh, their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. But when they are captured by the Babylonians and the Babylonians somehow figured out that these four young guys were bright and that they had a future in Babylon. So they took them to Babylon and they gave them new names, Belteshazzar and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar put them in his court and they had the best accommodations. They had the best food, the best clothing. But there's something about these four guys. I mean, they did become the best advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar and then so the other kings after King Nebuchadnezzar. But they did not change their allegiance to the living God of Israel. And they would not not stop worshiping him. They prayed to him every day. They continued to study his word, as we're going to find out in one of the chapters in the latter half of the book, whenever Daniel tells us that he figured out the reason why Judah was overthrown by the Babylonians, because of reading the book of Jeremiah the prophet. And so they studied the word of God and they wouldn't even eat the rich foods that the king provided. They ate a simple diet in order to show that they were continuing to serve their God. And because they continued to serve their God, it caused problems in their lives. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into a fiery furnace because they would not bow down to a statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. And, and even though they went into this fiery furnace, they came out alive. And then later on in chapter 6, which we just looked at last week, Daniel was put into a den of hungry lions because he would not stop praying to the living God. King Darius, um, actually his advisors tricked him into making a rule that you could only worship him for 30 30 days, But Daniel wouldn't stop worshiping the living God, and so he got put into the den of lions, and God, again, miraculously delivered him. The rest of the book is not like that at all, because in chapters 1 through 6, we have these miraculous events. We have Daniel interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar, interpreting the handwriting that appeared on a wall during King Belshazzar's life. And actually, this hand appears and writes on the wall. Scary thing, I would think, if you were there. And he interpreted that. But the rest of the book... Is visions and dreams, but they're Daniel's visions and dreams about the future. They're Daniel's visions and dreams of what's going to take place in the immediate future and what's going to happen at the end of time. And so for the rest of the book, it's very, very different. In fact, it would be great if we could just go through all six of the rest of the chapters today, but we can't. So we're going to continue to do what we've been doing, and that is we're going to take chapter 7 today, chapter 8 next week, 9 the next week, even though chapters 10, 11, and 12 are all one vision Uh, We're going to divide them up, and we're going to go week by week, chapter by chapter. And so today, as I said, we're going to be talking about the future. And and since we're going to talk about the future, I'd like to focus on how people think about the future. And, And so when people focus or think about the future, they tend to do so in one of three ways. Obviously, there's probably more ways, but these are three general ways people think about the future. The first group of people, when they think about the future, they actually just don't think about the future. They say, well, I'll think about that tomorrow. They're sort of like logs drifting down a river, you know. They don't worry about what's lying ahead. They don't worry about what what tomorrow will bring. They just sort of take one day at a time, never thinking about uh, the implications of what lies ahead. Then there's a second group of people, and the second group of people are people who uh, tend to fear the future, If you grew up as I did in the 1960s, in 1963 I started first grade, so you know I'm old. Anyway, the people in those days, they feared that the Russians were going to put an atomic bomb on our country and we're going to all die. So we had this brilliant idea. We would have these drills where we would sit underneath our desks so in case the nuclear bomb came, we would be okay. Now, even as a six or seven-year-old, I'm thinking, if a nuclear bomb comes, I'm probably not okay because I'm sitting under my desk. But then another thought came to me. There's never going to be a nuclear bomb in Arcadia, Pennsylvania. I figured I was okay. It wasn't really a strategic location. But the point is, when you fear for the future, you do some extreme things. And so people today, there are people today who are afraid of the future, and they're, you know, they're trying to get all the gold that they can get, and they're putting you know, non-perishable foods in their cupboards, and they're building panic rooms, and they're, um, and they're doing all kinds of things like that. And some of them, if they're religious, they're scouring the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and some other prophetic books to try to figure out when the beast is coming and when Jesus is coming. And if you're one of those people, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not. Because Daniel was afraid of the future. As we read, we're going to find out Daniel was afraid of the future. But I do want to say I'm not one of those people. When I was sitting under my desk, I was usually laughing when I was six years old and seven years old, um, because I even as a six or seven year old, I had figured out that you know there's probably something more important to think about, and it's the third way of looking at the future, and that is some people trust that God controls the future and work to be ready for it. So as we've seen over these first six chapters of the book of Daniel, God was with Daniel. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he protected them in some pretty serious things. And so if we read through the word of God from beginning to end, we find out that we are going to go through some difficult stuff. There's no doubt about it. But God is with us in that, and ultimately, because of something that Daniel didn't know, which is Jesus, we're going to talk about that even today, because Daniel gets to see a glimpse of Jesus in the vision in chapter 7. But anyway, because we have Jesus in our life, that no matter what we face in our life, we can know that there's an ultimate future that's a future of goodness and blessing. So today's take-home point relates to that. And for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point I'm going to be making here today that I want us all to take home, and we want to think about it, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. And here it is. When the future seems most fearful... Remember, God has already won. When the future seems most fearful, remember, God has already won. When we look at what's lying ahead, and, and there are some bleak things lying ahead in the future in the 21st century, but we can remember that God has already won. And it isn't responsible for us when we think about the future to do what those who you know are like logs do. They just float down the river soaking up the sun on the sunny days, which there's been a lot of those lately, haven't there? And you know, soaking in the rain on the rainy days and enjoying the rapids whenever we come through the rapids but not ever thinking that down the river there's a dam or there's a waterfall. (laughs) They're not preparing for the future. That's an irresponsible approach. But those who think um, only about the fear of the future and and try in their own human efforts to overcome the future, to be ready for it, to be secure for it, that's not a good plan either because the good plan recognizes that God has already won. So we're going to live boldly and humbly confidently and compassionately into the future knowing that whatever happens you know God isn't going to wake up tomorrow or next week or the next week and go oh my me I didn't know that was going to happen right God is going to know what's going to happen because he's the one who ordained you know creation he's the one that created everything there's never been anything that caught God by surprise when Adam and Eve sinned he wasn't surprised you know, he wasn't surprised when you came to church this morning, even if you were. He's not surprised by anything. God knows what the future is. So when I was a teenager, my grandma Gromley, my mom's mom, told me this. It was a very good piece of advice. She said, Chris, you need to plan your life as if you're going to live forever and live your life as if you, Jesus were coming back today. You need to plan your life as if you're going to live forever. So in other words, you need to have a plan. What's, what's going to be tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next year? Now, I didn't always listen to grandma on that part. But the second part, I have always—I mean, every day, probably since I was 17 or 18—I've woken up and I've said, "Hmm, wonder if today's the day." Literally, I, is today the day Jesus is coming back? Because nobody knows. Jesus said nobody knows. So my goal has been to re- be ready all of those years, all of those months, all of those days. And so this morning, when I woke up, you know, I thinking, hmm, I hope it's not today because i got a good message. I want to preach to the people, you know. But if he comes back right now, would be better. At, and actually, if he came back right now, wouldn't that be so incredible? Hey, Jesus, we are in church. You know, I mean, what, what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? I want to be doing something like this. I want to be doing something positive, something that builds up the kingdom of God, something that says, I was planning for you to come back. I was ready. So, I have lived my life pretty much with the take-home point in mind that we have today. Let's look at it one more time. When the future seems most fearful, remember, God has already won. Now, if you have your Daniel Putting God First study guide, we're going to turn to page 31 today. That's where Daniel chapter 7 is located in your study guide. If you don't have a study guide, you hopefully might have a Bible or a Bible app, or you can look up on the screen. But before we turn to Daniel 7, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you were up before we were. And that's true every single day. God, I thank you that you are never surprised by what happens in the world. And that you have already, through your son Jesus, conquered sin and death. And God, today as we turn to your word, as we look at Daniel's vision, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our spirit. And that you will do whatever we need, whatever one or two or whatever number of things that we need to do, so that we will be ready when you come and so that we're helping others to get ready too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 says, Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. This is an editorial comment. It's actually the only editorial comment we have in the whole book of Daniel. What we're told by whoever wrote this little verse in here is, Daniel, remember what happened in last, last week in Daniel 6? It was King Darius. King Darius is the guy who killed King Belshazzar. So we're going back in time. We were at King Darius, but this week we're not at King Darius anymore. We're, we're earlier. We're during the reign of King Belshazzar. And during King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Daniel was famous. During King Darius's reign, Daniel was famous. During King Belshazzar's reign, Daniel wasn't even heard of. Until the writing on the wall, and then that's when the, you know, the king's mother, the queen mother, said, Well, there's this guy named Daniel. He can interpret what it says. So Daniel was sort of forgotten during this period. But during this forgotten period, Daniel had a vision. Daniel wasn't going to interpret this vision for some king. This is his vision, his dream, and, uh, and so let's turn to it and see what it says. It says, In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm turning the surface of a great sea with strong winds blowing from every direction. The New Living Translation says from every direction, but it actually means from the four, four, the four winds, northeast, south, and west. Uh, mostly, you know, like in the wintertime, if the wind comes from the east, you know it's going to be a really bad storm, right? Actually, anytime time that happens, it's a bad storm. But this is coming from all directions. So this is a seriously bad storm. And then it says... Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with an eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being. And it was given a human mind. Okay, that beast, I'm just going to tell you, that's King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, "'Get up, devour the flesh of many people.'" Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four bird's wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. So, Let's pause for a moment. The, the vision continues, but, but this had to be a terrifying vision. I mean, if you were asleep and all of a sudden God gave you this vision, it would ruin your night, right? Because the very first one is a beast that's a lion that has eagle's wings, and then as you're watching the beast, the wings are torn off, and the lion, instead of on, walking on all fours, walks on, on its hind legs like a human being. Then the second beast comes along, and this beast is like a bear, and it says it rears up, and it has three ribs in its mouth, and I don't think these were pork, pork or beef ribs. <laughs> I think these are human ribs. And it says that he was given authority to devour many people, so this is pretty scary. Then the third one, it says, was like a leopard, and did you see the thing in the... Oh, it was a jaguar. I think the jaguar and leopard pretty same. In the zoo down in New Orleans, it got out of its cage and killed four um, alpacas, a couple of emus, and a uh, fox. Uh, the reason I say that is because they're, they're ferocious creatures. You know, In real life, they are. If you don't put them in a cage, they're going to do some damage. But this one not only ha- is a, like a leopard, but it has four wings, so it can fly probably pretty well if it has four wings, right? And four heads. Four heads, If you, you know how they say two heads are better than one? <laughs> four heads got to be better than one, right? Four heads let you look in every direction. This is a very powerful being. And then the last one isn't even described in terms of an animal. In fact, it just says it was terrifying, this thing is so terrifying, and it has uh, it's dreadful, and it's very strong, and it has iron teeth. And the things that the teeth don't devour and crush, it steps on them and tramples under its foot. So Daniel is scared to death, as we would be. When this vision comes. And then it says, As I was looking at the horn, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Isn't the detail in this account incredible? I mean, all these little details about, you know, the ten horns, which actually ten rulers, Roman Empire. There were actually twelve rulers during the Roman Empire, but two of them only lasted for a couple of months. So really only ten rulers. So this is a prophecy about Babylon and about um, the Medo-Persian Empire, about the Greek Empire, and about the Roman Empire. Just, I'm not going to really go into that, but that's really what it's about. Most biblical scholars agree, and, and I think it makes perfect sense, given that all of these things are about to take place. But anyway... All of this is happening and all these details are happening. And, and Daniel remembers all of them. And, and the reason that he remembers all of them is because the Holy Spirit is working in his mind so that he will write them down because he's actually writing scripture. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know he's writing a book in the Bible as he's writing these things down, or a chapter, I should say, of the Bible, but he is. And so they're recorded for us so that we can remember what it says. And it continues and it says, I watched... As thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge, it says ancient of days in some translations, God, his clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. So right in the middle of this terrifying vision, God shows up. I mean, it looks pretty bad. It doesn't look pretty bad. It looks terrible. There's all of these beasts that are just destroying the earth, really, taking over everything. And in the middle of that, God brings you know, the moving truck in and puts all these thrones up. Now, who, what are all the thrones about? Some people say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't, I'm not going to argue with that. But I think it's more than that. I think there are a lot more thrones than that, the thrones for the elders you know, that are in heaven. And so there's this big courts in session, and it says millions and millions of angels. So, if you ever wonder what heaven is like, you know, it's not like just a few angels. It's not just like the pictures that you see from the Middle Ages where there's like five or six angels. There's millions, it says myriads in the Hebrew, but millions and millions of angels. And courts in session. What court? God's court. God is the one who's watching over history. God is the one who's going to judge. It says the book is open. Is it the book of life? It might be, but it's probably more likely just the book of, of history, the book of what's evolving, what's going to happen in the course of human history, and God's taking a look at it, and then it says, I continue to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. So all this stuff is going on, and he's seeing you know, God and all the angels of heaven, but he's sort of distracted. Because this little beast is talking and it says, I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. So even though these are successive kingdoms, there's remnants of the Babylonian people and there are remnants of the Medo-Persian people and there are remnants of uh, of the Greek people. And then this, you know, the Roman Empire overtakes them all. But it says that one's killed first. The Roman Empire is killed first, and then these other three are left, but their authority was taken away. And here is probably the most important principle that we can take from this passage of Scripture, and that is this. In the presence of the authority, the authority, God, the ancient one, all others lose their authority. So in the presence of the authority, God, the ancient one, all others lose their authority. I said that a little badly. Let me say that again. In the presence of the authority, God, the ancient one, all others lose their authority. Would you say that with me? In the presence of the authority, God the ancient one, all others lose their authority. So when we are afraid about the future, we don't have to be afraid about the future because God is on his throne in heaven right now and he is watching over what's happening and he's not surprised by anything and he has already won. So now, as we look at it, it says, I, Daniel, uh, oh, As my vision continued, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Spoiler alert, Jesus. You see, Daniel is having this vision. He gets to see God, but then he gets to see Jesus. And Jesus, how do we know that? Because Jesus' favorite name for himself is Son of Man. If you look at the Gospel of Mark over and over and over again, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so the Son of Man is going to come in the clouds, and Jesus said he would. In his own talk about the future, he said he would come in the clouds. And we know that it says that in the book of Revelation that he is going to come in the clouds. And Daniel is telling us before Jesus was even born on the earth that he saw him and that he's coming like the, the, in the clouds like the Son of Man. And the key thing is this. There's a long period of time between the end of the fourth kingdom and the coming of the Son of Man. Just like there was a long time between King Nebuchadnezzar's reign and the reign of King Belshazzar, even though it looks like it's just chapter 4, chapter 5, and it looks like it's this much time, as Pastor Mark rightly told us a few few weeks back, there was a long time period between King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. There's going to be a longer time between the end of the Roman Empire and when Jesus comes back because it's already been a couple thousand years. We don't know how long it's going to be. All we know is this. The key is in the end, God's people will rule because God has already won. That's what it says. God's people are going to rule because God has already won. When the Son of Man comes, he's establishing his throne forever, and the people of God are going to rule with him forever. So the question is, here's the key question for us sitting here in the 21st century. Will we remain faithful While we're living in this time before the end. Because obviously we are living in the time before the end. The time of the end started you know, back actually on the day of Pentecost. That's what Peter told us. He told us that in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the last days started on Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And they're continuing until the last day when Jesus returns. And so it says, Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. He already knows what's happening. But he wants to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. Oh, I skipped a verse, verse 15. Let's not skip that, 16, 17, 18. (laughs) I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my visions terrified me. This is the key. He sees all this stuff, and he now knows that God is going to win in the end, but he's still terrified. It says, So I approached one of those standing beside the throne, and I asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth, but in the end the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom. And they will rule forever and ever. So one of the Lord's attendants gave Daniel the TED talk on the end. You know, the TED talk, those are those little talks. Actually, it's even shorter than a TED talk because there's only two sentences. In two sentences, what he says is, oh, that's four kingdoms. They're going to come. They're going to fall. And then Jesus is coming back. doesn't say Jesus. But he says, you know, he's, God's going to come back. And he's going to establish his rule over everything. And we could stop right there. But the, but the account doesn't stop. It continues because even though Daniel now knows... What the future is going to bring. He wants some more details about the future. He wants to know what's really going to happen. And so it says, Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others, and it had a human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. Until the ancient one, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Now here's a detail that we didn't have before. In this time before the end, these beasts are going to devour some of God's holy people. You know, I mean, there's going to be suffering in the world before the end of time comes. And so that's what he's saying. And so if we think about those three kinds of people, Daniel was not the kind of person who didn't care about the future. He was thinking about the future. Daniel wasn't the kind of people who, a person who was, he was afraid, but he wasn't really afraid of the future. He just wanted to understand it because he didn't understand exactly what God was saying. And so when we don't understand something, we're often fearful of it. And Daniel wanted to understand better. And so God gives him some more information. It says, then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. It's ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from that other ten who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and a half time. Anytime you see time, times, and a half time, it's three and a half in the Bible. Three and a half is half of seven Seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion in the Bible. So anytime you see three and a half, it doesn't necessarily mean three and a half years, three and a half times, it could be, and it's an indefinite period of time, it's an incomplete time, because the perfect time is coming, and and we could go on and on, but we can't really in this environment, we're going to move on. It says, but then the court will pass judgment, but then the court will pass, God's court will pass judgment, no human court. And all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So this description has greater detail, but the part that we need to underline is the part that we've already talked about. God has already won. It says, The sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey Him. The outcome is the same. In the end, we win because God has already won. We win because when Jesus died on the cross and conquered sin and death and rose from the dead. The end days, the last days were beginning. And they're going to come and then Jesus is going to return and we're going to be with him forever. Now, is the present time scary? Yes. I mean, anybody who has ever you know, got out their phone and looked at what's going on in the world or watched television or read a newspaper knows there are terrorists that are killing people. There are people with mental illnesses who are going into businesses in America and they're in schools and killing people. You could, you could walk anywhere in this country and, and you can be killed. So that's a scary thing. And, and the thing is, because we have those phones that we pull out of our pocket, at any second we know when a terrorist attack happens in any country in the world. We know at any second when there's some disease outbreak. We know at any second when somebody said the most recent stupid thing in the world. It's all available to us right now. And so we can, if, if that's all we focused on, it would be very, very scary. And when Daniel finished listening... Look what it says. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts. And my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to my, myself. Daniel was the wisest of all King Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. He was the wisest of all King Darius's advisors. He was the wisest of King Belshazzar's advisors. He was the wisest man living at the time. Probably one of the wisest men who ever lived in the history of the world. And when he saw what was going to happen, he was terrified. So that tells us that being terrified because of the future is not an unreasonable thing because one of the most reasonable men who ever lived was terrified. But what Daniel didn't know is something that we do know, is that before the end of time... This son of man would come to the earth, and when he came to the earth, he would live a perfect life, and he would teach with the authority that no one has ever had because he's the son of God, and he would cast out demons, and he would heal sick people to to start to usher in the kingdom of God, and and then he would bear the sin of the world on his body on the cross and, and die, but death couldn't hold him down. He came back to life, and so when the early church began, do you realize they faced a lot worse things than Daniel did? Because they actually threw them to the lions, the early Christians, and they were eaten by the lions. They were burned at the stake. They were turned into human torches by, by Emperor Nero, one of these Roman kings. All of these things happened, and yet they stood boldly, and they would not renounce their faith. Because they knew that no matter how bad it got, how scary it was, even when they faced death, something better was ahead. They knew that God had already won. And we know that. And so that's why our commitment today is this. I will put God first no matter how fearful my future seems right now. You might have just lost your job this week. You might have had a cancer diagnosis this week. You might be thinking about the North Koreans or some other group of people that has you know, some bomb that could blow up half of America. All of these things, these are things that could happen. And yet, what we know is what did happen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross rose from the dead, went back to heaven, and sent his Holy Spirit to his church so that whatever happens, we know that we have already won and that whatever happens, we can get through it in this life because we are going to experience his eternal life. And we, we experience it in this life, but it will be an eternal life where he's in charge and all these other authorities, past, present, future, whatever authorities are on the earth, they're all going to be submitted to the authority. Now, that's only true if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our life. I mean, you can't expect Jesus Christ to save you if you've rejected him. And whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room this morning, if Jesus isn't Savior and Lord in your life, it's the best time ever. It's the best time ever to trust him as Savior and Lord. Because as soon as we have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in our life, our future is secure. And when I say secure, I mean nothing can happen to us that will ultimately destroy us. Nothing can happen to us that will ultimately harm us. And we might not get the miracle that Ken Nelson got this week when we pray for healing, or we might. We might not be delivered from the difficulty of circumstance that's going on in our life right now or in our children's lives. But what will happen, what has already happened, is victory over Satan, victory over the world has already happened. And one day, we'll get to experience it in all of of its fullness. And as I say so often, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord is simple. But it isn't easy. Because you're going to go out and live in a world that a lot of people don't believe in truth. A lot of people reject the idea that God is in control because they look around and go, Look at the world. Do you think God's in control? I understand the question. I mean, when people ask me that, I do understand the question. Because it doesn't always look like God's in control. But He is. And his ultimate victory is our current victory. Today, tomorrow, and until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your goodness and love. Thank you so much that when Daniel was terrified, you were there for him and with him. And God, we thank you that you have given us victory over sin and death. Through your son Jesus. We ask today, I ask today, if any in the room or any watching online have never trusted you as Savior and Lord, even in this very moment, they would say yes to you. They would surrender uh, the, the life that they have to receive the new life that is for now and forever. And God, for all of us who have done that, I pray that you would pour out your spirit into us new and fresh. That we might live boldly and confidently and yet humbly and compassionately in Jesus' name in the week ahead not fearing what we face because we know that you have already won. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.